Hi everyone, welcome to Style Recognizes Style. If you've never been here before, my name is Tori and this is my fashion podcast. So on here, I discuss a topic or two weekly within the fashion industry or fashion overall. Before we get into today's episode, make sure to follow me here on Spotify and on Instagram at Style Recognize Style. Instagram is Style Recognize with just one S for style. So you can stay updated and get reminders for when the podcast will be up. It'll be posted weekly on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Today it's Thursday at 2 p.m. because I got really into writing this draft but it'll usually be Wednesdays at 2. Please, please, please make sure to follow the Instagram. We have 90 followers now. We meaning I. Um, I'm almost at 100. That's triple digits, baby. So please follow me on there so that I don't feel like I'm talking to myself. Um... And there will be, you know, posts more often on there. I'm trying to post a few times a week, post stories every few days. Just keep you guys updated with the latest fashion info. So make sure to follow on there for that. So today's topic is Isemiyaki. We'll discuss his designs and his life. Unfortunately, he's yet another talented designer we've lost in the last year or so. And I wanted to take you guys through his life designs and why he is so important to fashion and the fashion industry. So Isimiyaki was born in Hiroshima, Japan in 1938. An interesting fact that I didn't know and was very intrigued by was that he lived through the atomic attack on Hiroshima in 1945. So I just, I guess I didn't think about it in the aspect of um, of, you know, the time, like the year he was born and the year that Hiroshima actually happened, the attack. Um, but you know, that must've had such a large impact on his life. And he even, he doesn't talk about it a lot. He only talked about it in a few interviews, but he was just a kid. He was around seven and it resulted in him having a limp and it caused his mother to pass away within three years due to the radiation exposure. So he attended the Tama Art University in Tokyo where he majored in graphic design and he graduated in 1965. I find it so interesting how many high profile designers, fashion designers specifically, didn't major or specialize in fashion design in college. Should I do a podcast on that topic? Let me know. So anyway, back to Isimiyaki. Kenzo Takata was another fashion designer, Japanese fashion designer, that passed away in the last few years. He founded well-known clothing brand Kenzo and moved to Paris around the same time slash a few months before Isimiyaki. He's the main designer that kind of started that move to there, you know, Japanese designers starting to show in, you know, for Paris Fashion Week and such. They knew each other back in Tokyo and attended the same tailoring and dressmaking school, Le École 
de la Chambre Syndicale de la Couture is the school. Forgive me if I butchered it. Slightly long name. And has Valentino Garavani, Cara Lagerfeld, Andre Courage, Alexis Mobile, and many more notable designers as alumni. In 1966, Miyake became an apprentice under Guy LaRoche. He did that for a few years, um, and then after that, he apprenticed at Givenchy for a few years before moving to New York to work with designer Jeffrey Bean. In 1970, Miyake moved back to Tokyo. It was there that he founded the Miyake Design Studio. Miyake ended up getting great exposure due to a friend taking some of his design samples to Vogue and Bloomingdale's. One of the most important things in the fashion industry is having good connections. A good connection could make your career. Having someone that'll just push a little for you have your back. So Vogue loved his work and Bloomingdale's gave the designer a small section in their store. So his first small collection in New York was featured in its own section in the Bloomingdale's. In 1973, there was a group fashion show in Paris that Isimiyaki was invited to participate in alongside other designers such as Thierry Mugler and Sonia Reichel. Thierry Mugler also passed away in the last, I would say it was within the last six months, but I'll just say year for good measure. I'm pretty, Sonia, pretty sure Sonia Reichel passed away a few years ago. If she didn't, I'm so sorry miss Reichel but I think she did um they were all really honestly really great designers it's really unfortunate two years after the show Miyake opened a boutique in Paris and continued to show his work there later on Miyake would become an official member of Francis Predaporter organization oh my gosh I'm I'm recording this on my balcony and someone is, is grilling or something because it smells freaking delicious. I'm sorry. I know that has nothing to do with Itsumiyaki. But I'm like <laughs> smelling the air. And it's honestly making me hungry. So anyway, Miyake was and is well known for paving the way for other avant-garde designers. He did this through his fashion shows in Paris and helped it surge in popularity he was one of the first Japanese designers to show their designs on Parisian runways. This is what I was talking about before with Kenzo and him moving to Paris a few months after Kenzo. This is when designers from Japan started to show in Paris alongside Western designers. Designers Ray Kawakubo of Comme des Garçons and Yoshi Yamamoto, every time I I hear Yoshi Yamamoto's uh, name. I think of Harajuku Girls by Gwen Stefani when she goes, Yoshi Yamamoto. Anyway, <laughs> that's when uh, these designers began to present their designs in Paris only a few years later. The three of them are often credited with starting the wave of Japanese avant-garde fashion, especially in the Western world. Ray Kawakubo has stated in an interview in Madame Air France, and I'm just paraphrasing here, it's not a direct quote, that they didn't intentionally set out to do this, but that each of them had a super strong design point of view. 
and wanted to create innovative designs recognizable as their brands you know they just wanted to create innovative cool designs through their own design point of view that were recognizable as oh that's Rei Kawakubo that's Isimiyake you know this spun Europe on its head showing a whole new way to design clothing he saw clothing as an art not just fashionable garments you know Despite this, the designer wanted his clothing to be for the majority of people rather than the minority. He didn't want his clothing to be exclusionary. Not only were his designs based on the collective, aka the we, over the individual, other known as the I, but his work studio had the same concept. Now on to more about Isimiyake's brands and his specific design aesthetic. A few of Isimiyaki's more well-known brands are known to have a fundamental concept that the brand is based on. I love that because I love a good conceptual backstory. I love a good super conceptual moment. A concept keeps the brand overall on brand and has a thesis that, you know, describes what the brand's mission is. And I feel like that helps brands stay on brand to their original message i love stuff like that and that's why i love well one reason i love miyake's design so is miyake the brand is based on the concept of a piece of cloth and as stated on the brand's website is miyake pursued the body the fabric covering it and a comfortable relationship between the two Pleats Please is inspired by Miyake's fundamental concept, which is that design is not for philosophy, but for life, and continues to evolve daily. The collection first launched under the Isi Miyake line in 1988, but became its own brand in 1994. What sets Pleats Please apart from other brands, not even just brands under Isi Miyake, um, you know, just overall any brand is a unique pleating technique that Isimiyaki popularized. The technique has the materials developed from a single thread and the pleats are added after cutting and sewing the clothes into shape. This makes the garment permanently pleated and wrinkle proof. I love that Isimiyaki wanted his clothes to be for the majority of people rather than the minority but still took an artistic approach to creating his garments. He didn't let, you know, he didn't let mainstream media and Western design tell him that just because his designs were not Western that they couldn't be for everyone, you know? And people love him. People loved him, you know? So... I just love that he he loved to experiment with old and new techniques for his designs, which is how Pleats Please became the well-established brand it is now. He wanted to take new and creative design concepts and engineer his garments to be wearable for the tasks required of everyday life. I find that to be so important because a lot of, you know, designers, you know, you're creating art. And I love art. But also, even if it's something that's, you know more expensive if it's wearable then that adds a whole new level of functionality and like being worth the price to 
me personally if I can wear something not just for one solo event or wear it for pictures or for the art for the you know he wanted to create conceptual designs and creative artistic designs but also wanted people to be able to wear them every day you know the designer was well known for introducing oversized loose garments into the high fashion world his construction techniques opposed most Western designers who use the typical construction techniques, you know, we've learned from, you know, the high fashion brands in Paris and just even general construction techniques. This is how a shirt is made. You make it by doing this. You make this seam by sewing at this inch. He challenged that. And, you know, I have a teacher, actually. If you if you go to FIT and you're a design student, I would definitely take her name is Professor Dobriana Ganeva, um, but everyone just called her Professor D. She really uh, got me to kind of think like that, think very outside of the box, because sometimes I can be very, this step is now, then there's this, and then there's this. She, she didn't, she wouldn't let me do that. She's like, if you really want to create something, then... You got to step away and you got to really just, you don't have to think about, oh, how will I construct this? If you're creating art and you're creating something you love, you know, don't limit yourself to, oh, well, I have to do a seam allowance here and I have to do this and I have to do that. I love that. Like I was reading something, I was reading one of these articles and someone was talking about one of Miyake's garments had four holes in it and you couldn't tell which was the armhole, which was the neckline, you know, and I love that. And he just plopped it onto the, the model and it went down the runway and looked fabulous. And, you know, I think that's what it's really about, you know, um, he challenged this and made it so that this wasn't the expected standard and I love that my teacher kind of you know it was something that I definitely was uncomfortable with I I almost never would design like that before but now I can you know she really opened my mind and helped me with that kind of stuff so non-western and western designers were polar opposite at this time in fashion because there was you know Comme des Garçons was blowing up Yoshi Yamamoto, Issey Miyake, um, who were coming without these Western traditions and Western heritage and using that to their advantage, you know? Miyake used his lack of Western heritage to his advantage to create his designs. And as he progressed in his design career, Miyake started to explore making garments out of materials such as paper and wire, really just going out of the box here at that point. So, last I wanted to touch upon Issey Miyake and Steve Jobs' relationship, friendship. Steve Jobs and Miyake ended up connecting due to Jobs liking the uniform jacket Miyake made for Sony's employees. It was made of nylon with no lapels and sleeves that can be unzip to turn the jacket into a vest. I find stuff like that to be intriguing, but it usually doesn't fall into my personal taste. I'm not the biggest fan of materials such as nylon, spandex, or polyester, but I like the transformative quality of the garment. Like, I would live for that if it was in leather. I would live for that. 
You have a leather jacket. Zoop. You have a vest. Should patent that. Just kidding. <laughs> um, so Miyake became a friend of Steve Jobs and designed what became Jobs's staple clothing item, the black mock turtleneck. We all know Steve Jobs's black mock turtleneck. Steve Jobs was known for it. And Miyake is the reason for this epic look. So I wanted to talk you, to you guys about the topic next week. I'm really not sure what to do. Uh, there's been a lot of buzz around the Birkin, about the Birkin dying, you know, like my condolences to the Birkin, what that means for Birkin resellers, the history of the Birkin, and, you know, all that zhush. I don't know if I should cover that. I don't know if you guys want me to do something on the trend cycle and how the trend cycle is being ruined by TikTok <laughs> and how we're going to have no trends left to, uh, you know, come our way because we're already like acting like 2014 pale grunge and the whole cobra snake, um, trying to man think of the word uh indie sleaze aesthetic is like that wasn't that long ago like what are we gonna do next we can't copy what we did one year ago that just at that point the trend is still you know alive um so there's a few topics i'm looking forward to touching on but yeah, I'm going to make an Instagram post asking you guys what you want me to cover. And I'm going to as well do polls on my main account, which is Tori Chaos, Tori Chaos. Um, and on Style Recognize, Style on Instagram. So make sure to follow me on here wherever you're listening and on Instagram at Style Recognize Style to keep updated with when I post. Also, one last thing, sorry. I wanted to give credit to the New York Times wrote an article on Issy Miyake and Steve Jobs with the turtleneck. And the title of this article was Why Steve Jobs Chose This Designer's Turtlenecks. And it was by Vanessa Friedman, naturally, right? Then the second article was from this website, lovetoknow.com. And it is fashion history. And it's about just Issey Miyake. And it is written by Yunia Kawamura, who actually was one of my sociology teachers at FIT. I minored in sociology. If you take any sociology class, take her. She's the best. Like, I'll watch videos online and people reference her research for, like, their informational pieces like this. So, of course, I had to use my teacher's old reference, right? So... I just wanted to give them credit, obviously. I didn't word for word take anything, but I read these to get my information and, you know, just use prior knowledge of Isimiyaki for this article. So have a great day, guys. Bye.